thank you for your grace and for my brothers and, your, and, and sisters in Christ here today. Lord, be with us mightily. Lord, um, awaken sleepy Christians. Lord, make alive. Lord, we plead with you to make alive dead hearts to know you. And we confess the only way that we know you is through your son, but because of your spirit regenerating our dead hearts. I pray for that this morning. Lord, we know that your word will not return to you void. It will accomplish its purposes this morning and among and in the midst of the church globally and here. Lord, I pray for your help that we would be a people that would care deeply about reaching those that do not know your name and about your glory. And I pray that that fire would brew in our people that you have given. May that there be an outpouring of the miraculous people getting saved, the gospel proclaimed in the preaching and also in conversations for our people where we live and where we work and where we play, oh Lord. So we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, hey, it was uh, a long time ago, and some of you have heard this before, and some of you have not. Most of you have not. And when I was in seminary, one of the last classes that I had taken was what they called something like um, spiritual formation or something. Now, seminary typically becomes, it turns the Bible into academia, typically, and it has for years and years. And yet, it's a terrible thing to let that happen in our hearts and to do that with the Word of God. It's active, it's living, it's, it's the Word of God. It's like no other book. It's no regular book. It's the Word of God, and God is true, and He cannot lie, and His words are true. So all that to say, one of the things they did at my particular seminary is they added this class so that we would go through some spiritual disciplines and we would uh, do some additional activities that would um, challenge us not just on our mental level but on the heart level is what they were trying to get at. When traditionally academic, academia is academia. It's all about your head, right? And so in this class we, we would do things like, uh, uh, you know, fast and pray and talk about solitude. And one of the last activities we had together as a class is we were going to go into the local mountains and we were going to have a time of solitude and mixed with prayer and Bible reading. And the way we crafted that in the class, when I say class, I'm talking like seven people. It's purposefully very small. It's with a professor. Well, we had decided we're going into local mountains and we're going to um, sleep up in the mountains. We're going to eat together in a cabin, but we're not going to sleep in the cabin. And we would take our sleeping bag in tent if you wanted, or not. The time of year was beautiful, so it was perfect for no tent. As perfect as nature can get, because there's other things outside. I don't know if you know that, but there's things outside. And we were going to isolate ourselves. So we would not be able to see each other, and we'd spread out around the forest. We knew we were there, but we couldn't see each other. And then we knew... We were just going to be sleeping there. You had a bathroom right next to you if you needed, and your water, and whatever. And so there I am. Now, I don't know if you know this, but when you're in the wilderness, sleeping on a pad, 
with your sleeping bag, not a tent. The creatures and the animals come out at night. At least there's particular types of creatures that come out at night. I had forgotten about this. When the sun went down on that particular season, it's really interesting. You see, as beautiful as the sky was and the stars, it did not light where we were laying. It was black, dark. Sun had set and it was dark. Wilderness, trees, leaves, all of that. You can see the stars, but it just, for the time of year, it's just dark, darkness. And so we're going to, you know, take your flashlight, read your Bible, pray, maybe through the night, being still before God. It was a great discipline. No TV, no cell phone, but back then, cell phones were not like that big of an issue at that point. None of that was going to work. It's just quiet. Now, I got to tell you this, and on this particular night, when the sun set and it became black, dark, and you could not see in front of you, <laughs> barely. You could see your hands. You could see, you just couldn't see. There were creatures that came out, and one in particular made a lot of noise coming down a mountain. You could hear it suddenly, and I'm going to use the word violently, running down the mountain. We were not at the peak by any means. We were not at the summit. The peak was off in the distance, and it was racing down, and you could hear it because it's so quiet, everything else. And you could hear the, tr you know, wood breaking and leaves rustling and, and, and I guess, hooves crashing into things. And it's getting closer and closer and closer. Now, I, to be quite honest, at this particular time, I feel a certain anxiety and fear. Because even though I know my friends are close, it's in the dark. And I don't know if you have issues with the dark, but even, you know, in your 20s, 30s, 40s, Dark is still kind of scary, perhaps, especially in the wilderness. Well, it's totally dark. You can't see, and yet you can hear animals. And it's coming closer and closer and closer, and it feels like and it sounds like it's coming toward me. So naturally, I grab my flashlight, and it's like, you know, like the, you know, the long one, like metal, hands shaking probably. And the other thing is my, like my knife. Now, I'm in the wilderness, right? Not a big deal. Like, it's local mountains. It's not like the Alaskan wilderness, right? And a lot of good that's going to do anyway. But I hear this thing running, and it comes closer and closer and closer, and I can feel the anxiety and the fear hitting me, and suddenly the light, I, I, I'm able to catch the light. It goes flying over my camp, and something else stops close. My flashlight goes over, and the eyes look nothing like deer eyes. And it's just a moment, and they just, they, they come alive really bright, like a cat, like a cat. Or perhaps a rabbit, depending on how you're feeling right now. But a big head and cat. And when you're in the dark, and you're flashing a light like that, it, it doesn't go very far. I don't know if you know that. When you're really in the dark, the trees and the branches, you just don't see very far. All I see are the eyes, and in a moment, it leaps over my camp. And this one made different sounds. It made very little sounds. Unlike the, the deer that was really obvious, that had the horn, the buck that went flying, and it kind of was clumsier. No sounds. And I thought, holy cow, I just saw a mountain lion. And I've got my knife and my flashlight. I'm thinking, those things can kill a person. 
I was scared. Honestly, like all the blood just gone, not, not bleaking out of me, but just pale white. I'm sure I was pale white. And it's like fear, thinking, fight for my life perhaps, and it's gone. There are things in our lives, things that happen that make us afraid. We're afraid of all kinds of things. And Jesus comes and he says, trust me, trust God, trust Jesus. And yet we're still, we ha- we're, we're fearful of all kinds of different things all the time. All the time, all the time. Fearful, feel, fearful, fearful, fearful. And it affects all kinds of life. Here's Jesus saying, hey, follow me, trust me, obey me. And our fear at times will affect our obedience and our listening and our trusting of Jesus. All those things are fear. And so, therefore, we are afraid often to have the hard conversation with our spouse. Or how it's really hard and we're really fearful to confess our sin, perhaps. We're really fearful. It's, it's difficult. We get stuck, perhaps, in a job or vocation that we should not be in. And it's not even the desire of our heart. And I'm not saying, go, hey, go drop your job tomorrow and go try something else. I'd say, like, use some wisdom. I'm just saying, like, what happens to people is they get fearful. They're afraid. They're afraid of change. They're afraid. They they don't trust God. And that fear is a very real thing. And it's it's a natural thing in this life. And yet God tells us constantly, trust him. In the text, in the word of God that we're going to be looking at this morning, we're going to see the fear of the disciples. And you know what? You'll probably remember your own fears that you face. And we're also going to see the smallness of their faith. We're going to see the smallness and the the weakness of their faith. And yet, in light of all those things, what we will see and be reminded of in the Word of God this morning is that Jesus, as Matthew has been heralding constantly over and over and over and over again, is that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. And there are three things that we're going to highlight from the text, from from the movements that we'll see this morning. One of the first things that we'll highlight in light of the fearfulness and the weakness of faith is we will highlight a glorious truth, and that is that Jesus is the glorious Son of God, number one. And number two, we will highlight this, that Jesus is all-powerful and can do anything. That's number two. And we also highlight the fact that Jesus knows everything in addition to that certainly knows the future, but causes the future according to his will and purpose. Those three things we'll address in the scriptures this morning. So turn your Bibles to chapter 17, Matthew chapter 17, as we continue in the the disciple maker in the gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 17, Matthew 17. It says this, verse 1, and after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, those three, right? And he led them up, uh, led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun. Do you see the glory? And his clothes became white as the light. 
Now look, hey, number one, Jesus is the glorious son of God. Others have gone to the mountain, Elijah, Moses and Elisha, which we're going to read just in a moment. They went and they came and they, they, they were with God in his presence. And yet Jesus brings them up to a mountain and he is not merely in the presence of the Father as the Father reveals himself, but he is God. And that's who they see. And Jesus uncloaks and reveals who he is and they see his glory. Jesus is glorious. He is the glorious son of God. And he was transfigured before them. In verse 3, And behold, there appeared to, to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And he was still speaking, and behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice, and I just want to pause for a second because I know the question might be in your head is what, like, you know, what, what is he doing saying this? And as, as you look at the other, you peer into the other gospels, what you will see is that they will highlight that he didn't know what to say and that he was fearful. And we're certainly going to see his fear. We're going to see the disciples' fear. And he's afraid and he just doesn't know what to say. You know, there's a lot of places where our minds can go, but quite simply what he's just trying to do is just make a place for them to stay. He, he probably thinks they're going to they're stay. And a voice came from the cloud, and here we go, right, the presence of God. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, and therefore, watch this, listen to him. In other words, hey, look, you know what? You should have and have listened to Moses and Elijah, and if you thought you should listen to them, how much more so should you listen to my son with whom I am well pleased, Jesus when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. There you go. There's the terror. There's the fear. But Jesus came and touched them and said, and saying, rise, have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now let's go back to who's present, who shows up. It's kind of an odd thing. You're there and you see the, Jesus revealing his, his, himself. This transfiguration, right? Metamorphosis of some sort. He's revealing his glory. And then on top of that, you have two prophets, two famous prophets, especially from the minds of a Jewish perspective and, the, and the, those that Matthew's speaking to, both Moses and, and Elijah. Hey, look, I, I just want to highlight a couple things, a few things, actually, about Moses and Elijah in particular. And some of you, maybe most of you, perhaps, are familiar, and others of you are not, and that's okay. Hey, look, you don't, it's okay not to know everything. Keep reading the Bible. Dig into it. Uh, read, read. Listen to it. There's all kinds of free resources for us. Like, do it. But I'm, I'm going to tell you to maybe help us just see, just see what's going on here. You see, because what God is saying is, hey, look, if you listen to them, Man, you definitely should listen to the Son of God, who I am well pleased. You see, he says that about no other human being. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. Now, like because of Christ, hey, look, we are, we are part, we are in his family, we are justified, we are being sanctified. That's all true, right? But he doesn't say that about any other human being. He says it's about Jesus, the Son. So Moses is the great prophet of God who led the people, who spoke for, to the people about what God had said. 
And you know the story. He, he, we saw the amazing salvation of God, him being called and taking the people of God out to worship the living God, uh, the Pharaoh, who is the ruler, where they're under the thumb of the Pharaoh, and they're told by Moses, hey, let my people go so they may come and worship God, the one true God of heaven. And they say no, and God hardens their hearts and hardens Pharaoh in, partic in particular, so he will not let them go, and God plagues them, plagues them. And, you know, it's just like mortars and bombs, and it doesn't soften them. They get harder and harder. God hardens their hearts, and he is hardening his, hardening his own heart as well, and they will not release them until finally God is going to take their firstborn. And he tells the people of God, the angel is coming. He's coming to destroy. But, hey, look, kill a lamb put it over the door so this blood see the blood it's costly and the angel will pass over your home and for those that don't then they're going to lose their first born and there were cries and there was death and finally the pharaoh let them go and even though he had let them go and they are running for it and they're leaving they decide, they get hardened again, and they go, they start chasing the people of God. And the people of God become, they're, they're really between a, a rock and a hard place. They're, they're between the water and, and the, the Egyptian army coming to kill them. And God says, hey, look, you know what, you're going to watch the salvation of God. And Moses, he, he's, he commands that the water opens up. God, God opens up the Red Sea so that they can go across on dry land. And when the Egyptian army tries to go through, it crashes in it. And it, and it destroys them, and it kills them. And you see the great salvation of God. And Moses leads the people into the wilderness, and he's going to go hear what God has to say. And he goes to a mountain. Listen to what it says in Exodus 31, 18. It says, and he gave to Moses when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, on a mountain, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. He comes up to... to to hear from God, he's given the law, the law of God. He's going to bring it down and tell it to the people of God. Now, in the midst of all that, he is shining brightly because somehow he's in the presence of God. And he has to veil himself. So interesting that, that he had to veil himself, and yet now they're in the presence of God himself, transfigured, and he's just glorified before them. Now, Moses, although was, who was mistreated over and over again by the people of God and by others, he was really looked up to and thought highly of. He is a real hero of the faith. And so Moses is a big deal, and yet here we have Jesus, who is a better Moses. A better Moses. And secondly, we have the other, the other person who's here is Elijah. And Elijah shows up, and he is an interesting prophet of God. He is calling the people back from their sin. Moses, the great leader, the prophet, who is calling his people to follow God and goes on a journey into the wilderness, and they, they hear from God and they get the law. And it doesn't take long, and they fall into all kinds of sin. You read from you know, Genesis, Exodus, Joshua, and then right at the end of Joshua, at the end into Judges, it, gets, it becomes crazy town. People start worshiping all these far, false gods. They start worshiping the Baals. And it's a really terrible, detestable type of worship. It's evil. He did evil in the sight of God. And it's really incurring his wrath. And God sends Elijah a prophet. And in the meantime, they're killing all kinds of prophets. But Elijah's amazing. And he's listening to God. And he's obeying God. And he, God tells Elijah, tell them it's not going to rain. 
you know, and, for, and he prays, and it's reported also in Hebrews, and he prays, and it stops raining. So there's a drought, and there's a famine in the land, so people can really feel the pain. And he's going to do this so he can draw people back to himself, but they're unrepentant, and they're starving, and, and yet God provides for Elijah in this amazing way. He's this amazing prophet. He prays, and it stops raining. God sends him by a brook, and, and Elijah is fed by ravens, meat and bread, delicious, from birds ravens imagine that time goes by and he says hey i'm going to send you to this widow go to this widow's house and and she's got just a little bit of food and then and elijah goes to her and says hey look god's going to cause this stuff to last and guess what it lasts for and it provides for her and her son and for him and they don't run out during the famine and elijah does this amazing thing in the midst of all that her son becomes horribly ill and is and is gone and he begs God to heal him, and he comes back. Elijah prays, and it stops raining. Elijah prays, and someone lives. Elijah does battle with the priests of Baal, and he wipes him out. And then he's chased by Jezebel. And as he's running, he goes seeking after God. He becomes very depressed. He's, he's really just tormented, and he's hungry, and, and God provides him. And, and then in First Kings chapter 19, verse 8, it says this. And Kings 19, 8, it says, And he rose, and he ate, and he drank, and went, and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, that God provided for him, to the mount, the mount of God. Here we have Moses and Elijah prophets of God. They go up to this mountain. Now Jesus' disciples are with him. They go to this lonely place, to this mountain, to see God, and yet they have God present with them, Christ and his glory. And it's absolutely amazing. You see, in the midst of all that, the disciples become really afraid. And like I said, hey, there is all, haven't you ever been afraid? The disciples were all the time. Have you been afraid to do the right thing? Because it would be easier to do the sinful and the wrong thing. Is it easier to not repent? Because no one really knows about it. And it just, I'm afraid because if I, if I repent, then I won't do this thing that I like. I won't steal. I won't lie. I won't feed my, my love for power or my, my idol sex. Whatever it is. And so we're afraid, therefore, to tell someone, hey, man, I need help. Hey, I need to confess this. Hey, I need to trust. I want to trust, and I'm having so much trouble. Look to the glory of Jesus. So that's number one. Number two, well, excuse me, no, in verse nine, and as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one of the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Now, you can imagine things would get really confusing if they start telling all these people about what's going on, uh, Jesus revealing himself. They can't quite articulate. It's this really different, incredible thing. And here's the thing. They're struggling with a particular question, and you're going to see the question that they're struggling with. It's a question that you, pro you were not struggling with. But it's a question for them in their setting and in their context, based on what they've heard, that they are struggling with. And they say this in verse 10. And the disciples asked him then, why do the scribes say that, the, that first Elijah must come? Jesus, why do they say that? 
and they're, and they're really struggling with that. And Jesus is not going to correct the scribes because the scribes are right. But the scribes don't fully understand the issue. And what Jesus is going to do is he's actually going to interpret um, the Old Testament for them right before their eyes. They, they're saying, hey, look, Elijah comes for, there's this order they're struggling with. Isn't Elijah supposed to come? And then the Messiah? Something like that. And Jesus, Jesus says this. He says, then, he says, um, in verse 11, he answered, Elijah does come, and he will, will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Verse 13, then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. Now, this is not reincarnation, like don't go new age or weird. Elijah the prophet the, and Moses who were standing before Jesus and their disciples are different persons than John the Baptist. And yet, and that way they, the way they're interpreting, the way they're helping, Jesus is helping them understand the Elijah that the Old Testament was talking about in, Mal, in Malachi 4, 5, it says this. Behold, this is why Jesus isn't correcting them. Behold, I will send you Elijah. This is after Elijah. After that amazing prophet who did bat, who prayed and it, and it stopped raining, who prayed for the dead person, who, pr who actually conquered the priest of Baal, behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Verse 6, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. That was a prophecy about John the Baptist who would come preaching repentance. And yet Jesus said, hey, they, they ignored him and they did whatever they wanted. So Elijah has come and they did whatever. And what happened to John the Baptist? Well, they beheaded him. And what Jesus wants them to know is, look, Elijah has come. The order of things are in place. Elijah came and suffered. And guess what? I'm going to suffer. Now, look, this is like three years of ministry. And they have hung out with Jesus, the one, the son of God. And they are struggling with all kinds of questions. And they can't totally fathom the suffering and the death of Jesus that must come. It's completely hard to grasp. Because they're envisioning, you know, it's just going to like, whoop butt Jesus. He's showing up. Let's make some tents. You're, you're here. Kick everyone's butt. Let's do it. Something like that. And they're struggling with the order. And then he says, no, 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 no. Look, look that's not it. Elijah has come. And then later he's going to address the fact that they're going to suffer. He's going to suffer. Secondly, Jesus is, the power, is powerful enough to do anything. Listen to the narrative. And when they came to uh, the crowd, in verse 14, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on me, my son, on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him in your, to your disciples and they could not heal him. Now remember, Jesus had sent his disciples out earlier to do all this healing. And then they ran into situations that were so hard and so difficult. The, the demons were too deep. And their faith was too weak. And they were unable to, to deal with it. And it says in verse 17, And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out. 
it came out of him, excuse me. And the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and asked, why could we not cast it out? He said to them, because of your little faith. Hey, now look, I want to address something. The, more two, the two things that kept coming up throughout the entire, the entire gospel of Matthew, and that is like the uh, strong faith from people you wouldn't expect to have strong faith, and weak faith from people you would not expect to have weak faith. And one of the categories of people that had a very weak faith was the, the ones that were closest to him at times. And yet there were these others that were coming, and, they would, and Jesus would praise them, wouldn't he? Wow, you have strong faith. Now listen to what Jesus says. So look, look, I'm going to address the fact that Jesus is, the most, is powerful enough to do anything, right? In verse 20, he said to them, Because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have the faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Now, most of the time when we read this, what people get hung up on is the reality of a mountain moving, because it's the idea of something impossible. And can I tell you this? It's actually popular in Jewish literature. It's this big, impossible thing. But, that is, but, the, but the issue is the smallness of the seed, the smallness of the, of the faith. What Jesus is telling his disciples is that you could be a new Christian. You could have really small, you, if you don't have huge faith, you can have small faith like a mustard seed. The smallest thing the ancient world could imagine. And that is all the faith that you need to see amazing things happen. Movements of God. Mountains can be moved. You don't need to have all the strength and, and uh, maturity. and it just, There's just little tiny faith. You know what this means? That you can be new to Jesus. A year, a day, and have this tiny faith, this tiny little faith. You can share the gospel, the mercy that has been shown to you with others, and you can see God do amazing things like the miracle of moving a mountain by awakening a wicked dead heart, for example. How long will we be afraid to share the good news of the gospel with people that we live with? How long will we be afraid to share the good news of the gospel with our children? How long will we be afraid to correct or instruct our children? How long will we be afraid to say the hard thing to a spouse? I sinned, please forgive me. How long will we be in fear till we get stuck in vocation or a job instead of, you know, maybe doing something that's more appropriate for you? I mean, this is one of the ways that, well, that's the, one of the things that happens to people. We, you know, we, we're afraid to, to use our gifts in, in an area that would be the best for us because we're afraid of change. And Jesus is telling his disciples how mighty he is, that he is all-powerful. Jesus can do anything. It's not about your faith. It's about the God in heaven who can move mountains. And if it's so small and little, but if it's not operating correctly, because that's what really what he's saying to his disciples, yet because of your weak faith, it, it, it's not operating the way it ought to. I say, trust me, I send you out to do this. But your faith is weak. But even the tiniest faith can move mountains if you know that Jesus is all-powerful and can do anything. And Jesus can. How long will we be afraid to get close to other people 
within Christian community so that they would know us and know our weaknesses and know our strengths and have the opportunity to speak into our lives. Is our withholding possibly related to the weakness of our faith? Because I'm just afraid that people would know me. Jesus says, come, trust me. So Jesus is the glorious son of God. Jesus is powerful enough to do anything. Number three, Jesus is not only powerful enough to do anything, he knows the future. He determines the future according to his will. Now listen to what's going to happen here. Someone's going to come and, and, uh, and tax him. It's related to um, arguably the temple tax based on the amount that's being required of them. Okay, you can find that right in scripture. This would have been the requirement. So this is not necessarily like a Roman tax. This is the, the temple tax. And so here, this is what it says. In verse 24, when they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the half shekel tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? And he said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? Now, this might be a little odd to you, but in his world, this, this comes to him right away. This is not a hard question. Let me ask it to you this way, all right? Because we don't, we don't think in terms of, of the role of kings and favor, unfavor, those sort of things. However, you have a household. You're in a household. And you've lived in the household under parents, perhaps. Did your parents charge you? And a bunch of hands go up. Yeah, they did charge me, as a matter of fact. Well, we do that too. You know, once you're 15, we charge. No, we don't do that. But you were not charged a tax by your parents to live there, most likely. And maybe you were later. I don't know. If you were 25 and they're like, hey, man, we're just trying to boot you out. I mean, I don't like, like we get it. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to bash that because it's really expensive. It's really hard. And, and I know we just, anyway, just like open a whole can of, but I'm, 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 I'm letting you know that we don't charge tax on our sons. This question is really easy for Peter. And in verse 25, 26, excuse me, he, it says this. And when he said from others, Jesus said to him, then the, same, then, the, then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel so one half for him, one half for Peter. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Here is Jesus telling him where to go, sending him to go get a coin out of a fish. It's absolutely phenomenal, isn't it? Jesus knows the future. If Jesus knows the future and Jesus is all-powerful and Jesus is the glorious Son of God, then why are we still afraid? to be in Christian community, to share the good news of the gospel with people, to bring people into our lives, into our homes, step into their lives so that we could share the good news of the gospel and, and say, hey, come into my life. Come visit my branch group. Hey, you know what? Come, hey, you know what? Sit by me with, with church. You know what? Like, I, you're, you're close. You're interested. Whatever. You can have a conversation. Bring them. Look, I had the great joy the other day hanging out with my brother and sharing the gospel with someone. It was about a two-and-a-half-hour conversation. It's two and a half hours. And what we did the whole time is we, 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 our purpose was to go in, 
and um, get to the gospel as, as soon as we could, and, and it was two and a half hours. And I want to share something with you, because no matter where you're at with your, with your giftings, you, with small, with all of us, with tiny faith, can take up courage to share the good news of the gospel with people that do not know him. So two and a half hours, we're hanging out, we have a meal, we start asking questions. Hey, hey, where, where are you with, uh, like, religion? Just all kinds of general questions. We're just trying to bait, we're just trying to get a uh, we're just trying to hook. We'll get any, we'll try anything. What, you spiritual? You religious? We, like, we'll use almost any word, you know, and, and get them talking. I'm like, okay, hey. And so we start talking. We start asking questions, and we start getting at the gospel. We were able to have the opportunity to actually address works, salvation in the midst of all that, and address all kinds of issues, like issues related to the covenants of God and what that meant and what the blood was all about and Abraham and why, why the circumcision, and actually explain all these crazy questions that they're asking. You, you, know, you don't even know the questions people ask until you start asking, and then you get some other things that are sideways, and you're like, oh, man. Well, they're like, hey, well, sovereignty, that sounds like a bad word because this one cult over here that they were, I was like, oh, my goodness. Well, let's help you understand that in light of nations and just questions, addressing them. At the very end of the conversation, are you ready? We thought there was no hope going into it. At the very end, I asked this. Hey, I'm really curious. If you were to say, hey, I'm close or I'm, I'm there, like what, percent, what percentage would you, would you personally give on, hey, I'm there, I want Jesus? And this person said, you know, I would say I'm about 85% there, and I wasn't before. I thought, now I was floored, because I was like, man, I'm surprised. I was not expecting that. I thought you were going to say, dude, this is a bunch of garbage. And I'm telling you, if you just start engaging the people you know and you love and exercising a little bit of faith to see what God would do, amazing things happen. I have no control of this person getting saved. Zero. But God does, and the power of his gospel does. And look, check, out, check this out. For me, 85%, if they had said 3%, it's a win. It's more than zero. It's a win. You, you want to talk about it? You're, in, you're willing to talk about this for two and a half hours? You didn't chase us off, and you want to do it again? And this person said this, you know what? And I'm going to go to that church you recommend. Now, this person is far from here, and there's, there's a gospel church like 20 minutes from them. And I found it, and I, and I, and I said, hey, look, would you go to this? This person said, I'll rearrange my work schedule so that I can have Sundays off. I, I want to go. I'm, I'm actually really curious to deal with this Jesus stuff. And I'm telling you, man, look, this person did not get saved before our eyes. Well, I don't know. I don't think. I don't know. Maybe, maybe the Lord did something that I don't know about. But, you know, when you say 85%, I don't think you're saved, you know. Uh, I'm kind of like 85. I'm close. I mean, we, were like, we were in Romans 10, guys. Who, look, if you, if you believe in your heart and you can, like, confess with your mouth, you know, like we were going Roman road. We were going all kinds of roads. Hey, look, why are we afraid? Why are, we afra why are you afraid to share the gospel? Why are you afraid to repent of sin? Why are you afraid to have a con hard conversation with your spouse about your sin, about being known? Why are you afraid to get in Christian community? Why are you afraid about talking to your neighbor that you've been talking to for, for the last nine years and they don't even know you're a Christian? Is it because... You're not quite sure that Jesus is the son of the glorious God? That Jesus is all-powerful and can do anything? That Jesus knows the future and determines the future according to his will? And I tell you this, as you come to understand who Jesus is, then you are going to rest and your faith is going to strengthen and you're going to walk in obedience 
You're going to follow him. Hey, look, but check this out. Don't get weary. Don't feel a burden. I want you to feel the pressure a little bit. You need to hear preaching. You need to feel the pressure. But also, look, I don't want you to feel a burden. What I want you to understand, look, where we fail in our obedience with God, we don't, we don't share the gospel, we're afraid, and we, are, we have fear of man and all that. Know this, Jesus paid for your sin. And when you are fearful and you sin as a result of that, he paid for that. And when you're not obedient as you should be, I want you to know Jesus paid for that. The one that was on the mountain and revealed his glory. The one who healed the demonized kid who was seizing all over time. Falling in the fire pit or the water, probably drowning. Imagine the parents, how heartbroken. The scars, the battle scars of, of burn marks on their kid and face falling into the fire. You don't fall with your feet forward, right? You fall with your face, right? Drowning in, I mean, who knows? It was a wreck, right? And yet Jesus takes someone that broken and they're healed instantly. That's the Jesus that you're trusting in. The Jesus who is not merely uh, bringing the word to them on the mountain, but he is the word. That Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your amazing grace on our lives. Lord, save us. Lord, help us to trust in you in all things. Forgive us where we have not been obedient. Lord, may we trust more and more and rest in you, the glorious one, the all-powerful one the one who knows and commands the future according to his will, God. We thank you for salvation by grace, through faith, in Jesus' name.